welcome to the Social Ideas podcast brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. Professor Bill DeMarco, who is a retired United States Air Force Colonel, and his colleague Lieutenant Colonel Brandy Jeffries have taken on the challenge of teaching military officers about innovation. Both work for the Department of Leadership at the Air Command and Staff College in Montgomery, Alabama. Bill is also a Fellow of Social Innovation for the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. And he was here earlier this summer with Brandy, lecturing and supporting our master's students. Bill and Brandy chatted to Dr. Neil Stott, who's one of the co-directors of the centre, and talked to him about social innovation and the military. So we've built this course uh, where we're trying to take military officers and teach them about innovation. I think one of the um, blessings and curses of innovation is when the military starts using a word, it becomes a buzzword. So a lot of times when I say innovation to our students, they kind of roll their eyes like, oh, I have to innovate. If I were to ask you, what is innovation to you, being you're teaching it at a master's level, how do you define innovation? For me, and this is, this is for me, I mean, innovation, you're absolutely right, it is a buzzword. It has swept through the organizations, including the US Air Force, uh, for better or worse. Um, but innovation is a set of practices, often. When people think of innovation, they think of the light bulb moment, the big hitter, something that's going to change you know, an organization or the world. For me, innovation is actually all and many things. It's often the small tweaks, the small changes, the small change in practice, the small change in procedure, which actually can make a big difference. So in an organization like the US Air Force, if someone tweaks a practice, like the, you know, maybe something around an aircraft operation or, or a HR practice, you know, if that gets scale, that can save money, time, effort, lives. So you know, it can be the big moments which people fixate on, particularly around military innovation, it's the big ticket stuff. Mm -hmm. But actually, the really interesting stuff is from the grassroots up. It's those tweaks, those changes, those, those inspirations. Now, can you talk to us about some of the projects your students have worked on as a part of this program? Well, um, as you know, my students uh, are focusing on social innovation, which is slightly different than, than innovation per se. So social innovation is about making change. Social innovation is about recognizing the world is beset with some pretty major problems, be it food production, be it access to water, be it conflict, be it poverty. So my students are looking about how to make change. And recently, some very interesting projects, one was on the Ebola crisis in Africa some years ago, where the students worked for a big mining company who were on the ground. And her, her research was about how these organisations work together with NGOs. What she wanted to find, and this may resonate with, with some of your students, what she wanted to find was toolkits and one size fits all. She was adamant this is what she wanted to find. What she actually found was that what they did to tackle the crisis was very contextual. And it depended on relationships and people and prior relationships. And all the amazing stuff that they did collectively would not have happened without that contextual knowledge and those relationships. And a tick box approach would not have worked. And I think that's quite, a, quite an important piece of work. Another one um, was looking at uh, gender in the US Army, um, which we're presenting in Washington in uh, November of 2019, and looking at how 
Um, men in particular perceive gender in the military and men who had spent all their working lives in combat roles where women were not allowed at the time, so they reach a certain level, major, captain major, they're now in mixed environments and how that plays out. So that's quite an interesting piece of work. So let me pull on that one just for a minute because one of the things I think, um, at least I've seen, you know, we've taught innovators by design for two years. This is our third and this year is totally different than what we've taught in the past years. But what I've found is we've brought social innovation into the military, but people go, but what does it mean in the military? So can you tell me who's directing that research? Well, Lilia, one of my research associates, was the, the supervisor. Mm -hmm. And I am co-author on, on the paper he's, he's presenting. And it's Josh. It's Josh. Yes. yes Lieutenant Colonel Lieutenant Joshua. Colonel in the United States Army. Lieutenant Colonel. Or Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel. Colonel. Of course, he's a <laughs> Lieutenant <laughs> Colonel. But the <laughs> idea is, I just think that that was interesting. And, and uh, you know, I know Josh, and I've worked with Josh. And, and this was something that I think Josh was very interested in. He came through your program, yep. was able then to build this out. And I just think there's so many places in the military that social innovation is right in front of us, but we don't we don't have the wherewithal to say, oh, that's a social innovation. I mean, I think you know, the question is why? I mean, you know, I have taught on your program for a couple of years, and sometimes I see the, the uh, bemused expressions over Skype of your students, and I'm sure I'll see some again. Yeah, we get that again yeah. this year. Um, why on earth is this, this person talking to us about social innovation, as distinct from military innovation? Mm -hmm. um, and I think th there's some reasons. Um, the reasons is that, number one, is that you, and, and many others in your group are the people that tend to have to clean things up afterwards. So if there's a humanitarian crisis or some, something awful happens in the world, often the first responders are the military. Therefore, military people do need to know how to work with others nicely, including NGOs uh, and people on the ground. They need to understand context. Um, they need to understand the issues that people may be facing on the ground because it may be very different from home. So that's one set of reasons. Two, possibly less popular, is you know, trying to get militaries to stop breaking things. And if you do break things, you have a responsibility to fix things afterwards, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which people tend to forget. And people may not think that's part of their job. Um, but as these, your students are mid-career, you know, quite a few will be going up, up the ladder at some stage. When they get into positions of, of, of command, those sorts of responsibilities will, will come home to roost. So thinking about them now as captains and majors, thinking wider is really quite important. Not just how to fix something, how to fly something, or whatever, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Can we talk for a moment about um, maybe some of the models that you teach your students to sort of think through um, problem statements and how to actually attack whatever it is they're going to research? Um, we, we, d we don't tend to use many toolkits or models per se. We, we tend to use ideas, concepts and theories. Okay? So one model we, we do have is uh, around the idea of um, three forms of, of making change. One is social entrepreneurship, which is setting up new things to create businesses to make an impact. We also teach social intrapreneurship, which I think is relevant to your students. How do you make change in big organizations, public, corporate, whatever? Um, and thirdly, um, social extrapreneurship, which is basically 
the people who are making the networks and the connections. So you can think that in an organization like yours, there's lots of people trying to connect across the US Air Force, across the military in general, across the, the, you know, the, the um, various departments of state and, and other countries. So those skills, how do you work across? Um, and again, uh, you know, as you go up to the command level, the ability to work beyond your organization nicely with others is pretty hard. And that's a real skill that's, that we try and put across. I mean, I think if it's one thing that we can teach our students is how to do that sort of role better. There's a lot of research on it. And everyone says cross-set to work is really important these days. Unfortunately, the research also says people are terrible at it. Uh, and so we you know, try and play with that. You know, there's one thing that, that we use uh, in our leader development course, and we definitely will, will use this in Innovators by Design. It's the meta-leadership model, which is from uh, Harvard University. But it's interesting you bring that up, Neil, because in the meta-leadership model, there are three components. So there's the leader, the person, the situation, the context, but then communication uh, up, down, across, and beyond. So I think in the military, a lot of times, we understand what it means to lead down. Um, we even kind of understand what it means to lead up. But to your point on the cross-sector and the peer leadership is very difficult. And I kind of like when you mentioned the Ebola uh, issue and your student working on that, that it's all about relationships and how do we build those relationships and really build the relationships when we don't need them. Yeah. And that is an, an interesting skill that some people, I think, and we look at the competing values framework in the course also, that would be our yellow or our sages that are very good at relationships not everybody is good, but we need to get better. Um, Brandy, I look at you, and I, I know how you know you live in that yellow green section. Uh, you're very good at relationships. Uh, your thoughts on that? You know, I, I do have some thoughts on that, and it's mostly let's go back to the entrepreneur uh, because I feel like that's probably where most of our uh, teams will will try to tackle some innovation project. And uh, speaking of relationships, how how do you how do you broach the subject of conflict or when the system is set up so that it makes it very difficult to break the logjam, uh, so to speak? Well, systems don't need conflict to be difficult to navigate. Right. You know, bureaucratic inertia is probably more problematic than, than conflict. At least if there's some sort of conflict going on with the organization, things have surfaced, you know, and people take, take sides, whatever. But bureaucratic inertia just means it gets so really hard to do anything. Right. Um, now, bizarrely, I'm quite a fan of bureaucracy because most modern organizations could not work. You would not get your food on your table, you'd not get your internet, et cetera, et cetera, unless people were operating in bureaucratic and systems. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with bureaucracy per se. What, what is wrong is when bureaucracies become rule-bound by rules that come out of custom and practice rather than necessarily good sense. And militaries are great at this because they then compound bureaucracy with hierarchy. And as you know, and hopefully your students will read in the, in the paper that that's Bill and I and others co-authored, we, we, we touch upon the idea of military work. And you know, militaries, at one hand, having to cope with chaos, i.e. In, you know, in combat in any shape or form, but on the other hand, are very controlling, controlled organisations that, that privileges discipline, uniform, you know, 
all these sort of things, hierarchy. It's quite a bizarre mix, really, when you think about it. Paradox, a yin and a yang. It, it is, and, and you know, the constant struggle is how do you retain a degree of control when everything is going completely pear-shaped? So, I mean, that's, that's part of the tensions that you, or paradox in your words, that, that one has to cope with. So, when you're trying to make change, especially if you are, you know, a middle or, or, or in the lower parts of hierarchy, it's even harder. Sometimes and more often what you need is some sort of patronage. And again, if you look at it from examples in the military, uh, some very good books, which I'm sure on your reading list, like Forging the Sword and others, it's all about how people may change in doctrine. It's, a, it's an army example, but there are plenty of US Air Force examples. By having ideas, working across sort of uh, um, rank levels, but having a patron somewhere in the organization that can protect them. Right, sponsorship. Yes. Yes. Exactly. It's rather like a medieval court. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you needed a patron to get in, you need a patron to protect you. The world has not changed that much, really. Organizations haven't changed that much. It's still patronage is required. You also need resilience, but you also need humility. Just because you think you have a good idea doesn't necessarily mean it is a good idea. Right. One has to test it, share it, and, and be able to take critique, you know. Charging at um, Don, Don Quixote, if, if you remember your Don Quixote, who spent his time charging at what he thought was dragons, were actually windmills. I spent a lot of my career doing that. It doesn't get you very far sometimes, you know. Right. It's interesting that you bring that up, Neil, because I, I, I've lived with that as well, where I think I have a brilliant idea, and then I'm going to yes, I'm going to fight <laughs> and make sure that idea gets somewhere. That's not always the case, but I, I look at the fact that this is where you mentioned this idea of sharing your ideas, and I think part of that is sharing our ideas with people that don't think like us. Yeah, right. That's important. Yeah, and, and that's hard to do. It's very easy for me to sit here in England and say share your ideas with people that don't think like you. I'll give you the example that's non-U.S. Air Force. Which um, so I was in Vietnam recently talking to senior leaders in universities about social innovation. And the government, which is still communist, has decided that social innovation is a good thing and it should be taught in universities. So when we asked the question, what were the problems that needed tackling at a global level, they're very forthcoming. When we asked the question about what needed changing in their city, in their lives, they were less forthcoming. Apart from things they felt they had permission to talk about, that the state would not get upset about. Now, that's an extreme example, but organisations are like that. So people who are captains and majors will be worrying what the, their colonel or their, or their general may be thinking about when they articulate. You know, So people self-censor in these sort of organisations. What can I talk about? What should I talk about? What is acceptable to talk about? And that's how things get constrained more and more. So we, we actually, at, at ACSE, we bring that up a lot because Really what got our students to ACSC, they're the best at whatever they do. The best pilot, the best HR person, the best intel officer. But I try to explain that when they leave ACSC and they go back, they are they. The ones that they complained about before they went there, when they don't understand, they don't, well now you are they. So that's interesting that the idea is it's easy to focus on the next level up and say they need to fix this. But if we are they, what do we need to fix? Yeah. Where do right. we focus? And those are tough questions. That's why so much of this 
is centered around not only knowing, surrounding yourself with people who think differently or have that cognitive diversity, but also pushing our students back out into the field with a concept of how they can set up an organizational culture that's safe for those kinds of things and that's safe for people to explore innovative ideas and, and fail from time to time. Yes, and that's in some organizations, well in many organizations, the fear of failure is probably the thing. And especially if you've been graded. I mean, I, I, you know, I've looked at um, the metrics of grading in, in various you know, US, US uh, military, um, and it doesn't always help. I'm sure it's changing, but the promotion system does not necessarily help innovation because the metrics, people are working to metrics, therefore they do not want to you know, uh, fall foul of anybody or anything because they know they cannot get past that, the next right. hurdle you know, and that doesn't help matters either, um, in my opinion. No, we, we hear that a lot. And the idea of, um, you know, when I was uh, in command here at Mildenhall, I would always tell people failure is fine. Um, it's a data point. Don't make it a trend line. Yeah. But the problem is if your boss doesn't believe that a failure is just a data point, it gets very difficult. Um, I mean, it, you, you can understand why. I mean, so I, I, same as you, failure, I used to say to my team when I was um, chief exec of a, of a charity is, you know, Failure is fine once. You do not make the same mistake twice. Exactly right. Okay, so that's number one. But when you're working in high reliability organizations, and as you know, there's literature on HROs, mm-hmm. um, where if you get something wrong, lots of bad things happen very quickly. The example that was used in the literature was aircraft carriers. You have to be on point all the time. You can't afford to fail. You know, one rivet left out on the flight deck, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so some failures are not, not acceptable, but out of that context, you know, one can think about failure, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a different way. There are places to fail. I know uh, in the work we do with uh, Michigan, Dr. Jeff DeGraff talks about the idea of failing off Broadway. So the idea is if we are running some experiment, the idea would be to fail somewhere that is safe. But people fail all the time. I wanted to kind of go back to this idea of, of, of social innovation and then kind of wrap there um, because we talked a little bit about social innovation and I think, Neil, you were looking strategically big picture. We talk about uh, humanitarian operations, things like that. I'm curious if there's places inside the military. I mean, um, I know at ACSC we, we ran a, a, a program for people that were suffering with PTSD. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a form of social innovation. I know, Brandy, you have an example of, of something that you've done with the Gathering of Eagles. Maybe you can talk about that. But I'd be curious for you two, for Neil, to talk about whether you think this qualifies as social innovation. And then, Brandy, if you could share that, and then we'll wrap. Right. So um, there's, apart and separate from our elective here, there's another elective that's offered at the Command and Staff College there, and it's called the Gathering of Eagles. And the purpose of the elective is for students to go out and gather oral histories of different um You know, anyone who had a great impact on air power, capture them, they publish a book every year. Secondary to that, maybe not even secondary, but in parallel, the students also run a foundation called the Gathering of Eagles Foundation. And the point of that foundation is for the students to actually put boots on the ground out into the communities um, of Montgomery and actually they go out, they mentor, they coach, They um, raise money to provide STEM opportunities for underserved populations there. 
and it's a really cool thing to watch. I mean, we've, we've got just across the city, you know, we've got uh, fighter jets that have the red tail from, you know, representing the, the Tuskegee Airmen painted on there. And, and it's a way to really inspire some of those kids that just don't have the economic opportunity uh, by way of sending them to aviation academies, paying for their scholarships so that they can attend certain programs, but really trying to set them up to carry on that legacy. Um, in my mind, I think that that's something small in terms of social innovation we're doing, or maybe large in terms of social innovation that our students are participating in. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think things like work on diversity, work on giving back without expecting anything in return, I'm with you. Um, so, I mean, one thing, I think at a macro level, the as you well know, the, the US military has been very good at is giving opportunities to people who are underserved. Yes. Be it, you know, um, black Americans, be it women, um, and possibly, you know, people of, you know, different sexualities uh, more recently. Um, and that sets a trend for the rest of society. Also, militaries have also, we wouldn't have health systems and health services and welfare services without um, early benefits to veterans here and elsewhere. So there's a long intertwining between military and social, um, which is very interesting. But at a more practice level, um, yes, I agree, there's lots of things that, that people can be doing to improve their own experience, lives, etc., as well as the people around them, which I think is very important, outreach function. Um, I think I'm more concerned also about helping students at your level, captain majors, etc., look at the world in a different way. I mean, always agree, but looking at a different way is very important because when they are in positions of power, when they are advising people who have fingers on various buttons, they can do it without thinking in very, very straight lines. Right. And frankly, that makes the world safer for all of us. It does. In my opinion, again. Um, so I think that's very important. Yeah, and that's really one of the benefits of us having all of our international students there. I mean, there's lots of crosstalk and lots of understanding and, and shared meaning of different things. So it's yeah. And I think I'll just wrap by bringing up what you just said, Neil. And that's the idea that this idea of conflict is not always bad. Um, sometimes we will disagree, and then working through that conflict and being respectful of the disagreements, I think, is how we get to the best solutions. I know in the innovative projects I've worked on in the past, it's been rare that everybody came to the table and said, that's a great idea. Normally what happened is somebody came in and said, I don't like that, and I don't like that, and I don't like that, and then we all got together and put it on the table and started to rewrite the solution, and at the end the solution was much better. And usually at the end it was hard to even say, who really came up with that idea? Was it Neil, was it Brandy, was it Bill? But because we all shared in the conflict, the end result was much better. The really important thing is that some people may see themselves as innovators, but it's also important that people who don't do see themselves because everyone, it doesn't matter what you know, professional speciality you have, you know, you're always thinking about what, how you could do things better, how things could change, how things frustrate you, you know, what makes you go home miserable. You know, people, it's normal for people to be thinking like that. That's, then you articulate it, you share it, and you build solutions. So everyone has got, you know, uh, um, the capacity to be innovative in their jobs. Absolutely. From an aircraft person all the way to f four star, you know. Um, 
which I think is important. It also makes the workplace better, more interesting. It doesn't subvert authority. It does not subvert hierarchy done properly. It's just a very important function of, of any organisation that is vibrant and wants to have a future. That was Dr Neil Stott and with him were retired Colonel Professor Bill DeMarco and Lieutenant Colonel Brandy Jeffries. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by searching for us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn.